The Bible says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. And the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be meat. And every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and every creeping Thing that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. Look at verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. We're going to do a Bible study this evening. This will feel more like a Wednesday evening Bible study than a preaching service. But the title of the message this evening is this, God Values Life. God values life. We're going to look at a biblical perspective on life. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a day and era where life is under attack. Killing people off who are older and sick is becoming pushed upon us. Killing the unborn has been something that has been pushed upon us for decades. And Lord, I pray that as Christians, we would not be concerned with the voice of the world, but we would be concerned with the voice of the Word. Lord, would you please help us to hit a reset button on this ideology, this philosophy, this worldview. Lord, may as Christians, we understand just how important life is to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I have a whole lot to say in the body of the sermon this evening, and so we're going to forego any sort of introduction and just jump right into the outline there. So if you have, uh, you have received an outline, I'll tell you this, I have way more notes than I could fit blanks on a half sheet of paper, and so you might have to write some things on the back of there. I believe a lot of uh, what I have in my notes will be on the screen, but there won't be a spot per se, in your bulletin, uh, some of the things that go below some subpoints. So feel free to jot down anything that you think is uh, of, of great help. Um, number one this evening, notice life's creation. Life's creation. Now somebody uh, is inevitably going to run into someone who is struggling with this idea of what to believe. And if uh, they believe the Bible, the Bible could not be any more clear about God's position on life. He created it, letter A, notice its origin, its origin. And we're going to look at several verses here. I'd encourage you to turn to as many of them as you can. I won't have you turn to every verse I read, but uh, let, let's let our fingers do the turning in the pages this evening and, and let's, let's get busy here. Notice several thoughts under life's origin. First, notice that God is the giver and taker of life. God is the giver and and taker of life. First Samuel chapter two, verse six, the Bible says this, the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. It is God who gives life. It is God who takes life. 
Any woman who becomes pregnant, while there is a human factor there, God is the one that chooses to see that a woman be impregnated and that woman give life. Uh, anytime someone dies, God is the one that ultimately endorses and signs off on that. No one dies without God's permission. You can say, well, someone ended their life prematurely. God would have not allowed them to die prematurely if he did not sign off on it. And uh, my wife and I have seen quite a few of our friends and loved ones or people we've known even at a distance, folks we went to college with who have died of some disease at a young age. And it's tragic and it's hard and it's sad and it leaves us scratching our head and asking why. Uh, But we must be remembered that uh, we must be reminded rather that God is the giver and he is the taker of life. Uh, Not only that, but notice that God is the sustainer of life. He is the sustainer of life. Look at Genesis chapter 32 and verse number 30. Genesis chapter 32 and look at verse number 30. The Bible says there, and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. He said it is God That has preserved my life. Now here in Genesis 32, he is wrestling. He has just finished his wrestling match with the angel of the Lord. Many believe this to be an Old Testament appearance of Christ and that he wrestled with Christ himself. That would be my opinion. Uh, But he said this afterwards. He said, because I have wrestled, because I have seen God face to face, my life is preserved. Speaking of his brother Esau and the counter that he would have with him. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 2 says this, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statues and commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. And so here we're told that if we can keep the commandments and the statues, if we can uh, follow the plan that God has for us, he will prolong or sustain our days. How about Psalm 64, verse 1? In fact, uh, uh, go ahead and turn over to the book of Psalm 103, that way you can join me, uh, with me uh, when we get to that verse. But Psalm 64, verse 1 says this, Hear my voice, O God, and my prayer, preserve my life from fear of the enemy. And so here David is under duress. David is, uh, I believe, being chased by Saul in this passage, Psalm 64, and he asks God to sustain his life. He asks God to preserve his life as his life is in danger. Uh, there are all sorts of stories about David. There's one story in particular where David is trapped. Saul is closing in on him. He has no way out. Saul has been chasing him for a long time. He is right there about to kill him, has every intention of killing him. And then a message is relayed to Saul by his general that an army has invaded and it is an emergency and they must immediately come. And David is no longer trapped because Saul has to Pull away. Uh, who sent the enemy to invade Israel at just the right time? Well, God did. Why? Because God is not only the giver and taker of life, he is the sustainer of life. Uh, notice next, God is the redeemer of life. He is the redeemer of life. Look with me at Psalm 103 and look at verse 4. Uh, David says here, or the psalmist rather says here, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Those of you here this evening that are saved, aren't you glad that the Lord has redeemed your life? Well, we'll get into this uh, more in detail in a moment, but we were all condemned 
on our way to hell. And the Redeemer came and He died on the cross and He has redeemed us from our sin. He's the Redeemer of life. God is the one who created life. Life's creation, we see that He is the giver and taker of life. He is the sustainer of life. He is the Redeemer of a broken life. Notice letter B, it's order. It's order. We looked at its origin. Notice its order. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 9, and we're going to be looking around Genesis 1 and 2 uh, quite a bit here uh, in the in the uh, next uh, part of the message. Genesis 2 verse 9. Now this first one I'll give you with order. Uh, it um, uh, It's a little bit of a stretch, I'll be honest. Uh, you can make an argument that this first one maybe has no real life or rather just gives life. But indulge me here for a moment because I'm going to go somewhere with this. Notice plant life. Plant life. Genesis chapter 2 verse 9. The Bible says this, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is present to the sight and good for food, and uh, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, go back with me to Genesis chapter 1. And look at verse number 29. The Bible says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all earth and every tree, in the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. Now that word meat there uh, is the idea of sustenance, or that which would sustain. Verse 30, And every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And so what was the purpose of plant life? Well, the purpose of plant life was to sustain animal life and human life. Notice next in this pecking order, uh, animal life. So we're working up the chain here. Plant life. Next is animal life. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and look at verse number 20. Genesis 1 and verse number 20. The Bible says, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath... What's that next word? Life. You all awake? You tracking? That hath life and fowl that uh, may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Look down to verse 30. And every beast of the earth and every fowl of the air and everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat and it was so. And so plant life and then Animal life. And we see here that animal, uh, plant life was created to sustain animal life. Now, later, uh, under the, uh, the, the sin of Adam and the, the fallen and cursed world, the animals would leave being just herbivores, while some of them would remain that, or would rather uh, do that as well as being uh, carnivores. And they would also eat each other. But please understand, before the fall of man, animal did not eat animal. Animals were all sustained by plant life. The plant life was given to sustain the animals and to sustain mankind. So we see plant life and then animal life, but sitting at the top of the life kingdom here on earth is human life. Human life. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and look at verse number 26. This is so important. The Bible says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his image and the image of God created he him male and female created he them and God blessed them and God said unto them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it or be in control of it and have dominion over the fish of 
the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth uh, upon the earth. Now, I, I've, I've said this to a few people in private recently. I think it's a great thing to, to say in church. If you can understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3, if you can get the doctrines down in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what you'll find is that most of the world's problems today all seem to fall in place with Scripture. It's all right there. Now, we live in a day and time where people have put animals on a pedestal with humans. Can we see here where that does not fit in line with Scripture? The Bible says we're to have dominion over the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and the animals of the field. We're to have dominion. Uh, They're not to be over us. They're not to be equal with us. They are to be below us. Now, I believe that we're to be good stewards. I don't believe in just going out and killing an animal for the sake of just, just, just doing it for game and being cruel. If you're out killing an animal because you're trying to feed your family, that's great. Funny enough, um, and, and this is a really super random thing, but I don't think anything happens on accident. We're riding into church this evening, and Angela is going through my phone and looking at pictures or doing whatever she's doing, and I get a text message. And the text message is from my former youth pastor. His name is Jim Montoro. And Jim Montoro pastors up in Massachusetts. Uh, Marcia used to go to his church. And uh, Pastor Morales used to be on staff with Jim Montoro. He's spoken in this pulpit here before. And he sends me a picture. And in the picture is him holding a deer head that he just shot. It's an 11-point buck that weighed over 2,000 pounds. It's a nice buck. Now, some people think... How dare he shoot Bambi or Bambi's daddy? Well, I know Brother Montoro turns that into meat and he feeds his his family with that. He feeds his church with that, actually. Uh, They have get-togethers after church and some people, probably not everyone, but some people no doubt probably eat some of that. You know what God did? He gave us the animal kingdom for our pleasure. He did not give us the animal kingdom for us to worship. He did not give us the animal kingdom to put on the same level with us. In fact, God spoke the animals into existence, but God took his hands and he formed man into existence. There was really no conversation recorded in Scripture about the creation of the birds or the beasts of the fields. But prior to God making man, he got the Trinity together and they had a brainstorm meeting on it. They had a staff meeting. They talked about it. Genesis 1.26, we see the plurality of God and let us make man in our own image. And God then went down with his hands and he formed Adam. And then after Adam had been formed, he put Adam to sleep and he performed the first surgery. And he drew from Adam's side a rib and Eve was formed from that rib And both Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. Our human life has so much value. It has so much importance. Let me give you a couple thoughts. Even this would be a sub, sub, sub point, but uh, I want to make sure that uh, we're, we're, we're teaching this accurately. Notice below uh, uh, its order, human life. Notice that mankind is eternal. Mankind is eternal. Now, God made man in his image. Uh, God is three in one, is he not? He's God the Father, he's God the Son, and he's God the Holy Spirit. Now, I've heard all of the analogies, I've heard the egg, I've heard all sorts of ways of describing God as a triune being in one, and I have to tell you that all of them on some level fall short. 
It is impossible for me to comprehend how God can be three entities, but yet all still be only one. I can't comprehend that. I can't understand that. I'm going to have to wait till I get to heaven to figure out how that one plus one plus one equals one. But you know what it does when it comes to God? Maybe the best analogy we have for how God is three in one is by understanding how that you and I are made. Where we're flesh, where we're body or flesh, we're soul, and we're spirit. We're three in one. And uh, I want you to understand this. Mankind is eternal. One day, uh, you're going to have some sort uh, of a funeral. Or at the least, you're going to die. And there will be no more you walking around on planet Earth. They'll take your body and somehow they'll lay it to rest. And you will cease to be amongst humanity. But can I tell you that while your body might die and decay, uh, part of you is going to live forever. Part of you is going to live forever. Please understand that every time that a man and woman come together in union to create life, they're not just creating some being that's going to live 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. They're creating a being that's going to live forever. Oh boy, the importance of that. Oh boy, the value in that. Why? Because mankind is eternal. Now I get that uh, the Bible tells us that broad is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be that go in there at. I understand most of humanity uh, sadly uh, is going to go to hell, but understand they will live in eternal damnation, but nonetheless they will live. Not only is mankind eternal, but notice that mankind is equal. Mankind is equal. Let me read here uh, for you some verses. In fact, you're in Genesis. If you don't mind, hold your place there. Turn over to Exodus chapter number 21. Now, this is important. Uh, a couple of Sundays ago on Bus Emphasis Sunday, I talked about how we should not discriminate based on race uh, or, or color. We should not uh, discriminate on class, wealth class. We should not discriminate on family construct. Why? Because the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. He sees everyone the same. Do you know that your life is just as valuable as someone's life who's born on the other side of the world? Do you know that there is no more value to your pound of flesh than there is to another human's pound of flesh? It does not matter what language they speak. It does not matter what color their skin is. It does not matter how poor of the country they're born in. All humanity is equal. Look at Exodus chapter 21 and verse 23. It says, And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life. Hey, if, if you're going to go out and murder someone in the Old Testament, your life was to be taken in exchange for that life. It didn't matter if you were a rich man murdering a poor man. If murder was committed, it didn't matter the color of the skin. It didn't matter Jew or Gentile. It didn't matter uh, wealth. It didn't matter uh, uh, who your parents were. It didn't matter what your clout was. If you as a human took the life of another human, then the price to be paid was your own life. Why? Because all life is equal. Numbers 35 and 30, Numbers 35, 31 says, Moreover, ye shall take no satisfaction for the life of a murderer, which is guilty of death, but he shall be surely 
put to death. Deuteronomy 19.21 And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Why? Because not one hand is more valuable than someone else's hand. Not one foot is more valuable than someone else's foot. Mankind is equal. So important to understand. Letter A, we looked at its origin. Letter B, its order. Notice letter C, its operation. Its operation. I'm going to show you some things here that maybe you've never seen before or maybe haven't seen very much. I believe that, that life is manifested uh, in two ways. And this is very, very, very scriptural. Let me say up front, I am in no way a scientist. I struggled with science in high school. Uh, I, I never took life. Uh, I, I, maybe I did take life science. I didn't make a very good grade in it, okay? Biology was not my strong suit. Uh, but uh, I have the Word of God. And again, you've heard that said that the Bible's not a history book, but where it speaks on history, it's accurate. Can I say this? The Bible is not a biology textbook, but when it delves into biology, it is always right. You all with me this evening? And the Bible tells us how we can uh, uh, quantify life, how we can tell what is life. This is so important, especially when we consider the topics of euthanasia and uh, uh, what some call abortion, but what really uh, equates to murder. Notice under its operation the word breath. Breath. Will you look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7 for me? A marvelous thing happened. Boy, I wish I could, uh, I wish I could see this. I wish there was some video of this happening where I could sit and watch this over and over and over again. Genesis 2 7, and the Lord God formed a man of the dust of the ground. Wouldn't have you loved, wouldn't you love to just watch the hands of God come down to a pile of dirt and form Adam into the shape that he was and build the organs that were, uh, uh their place inside of his body, his, his liver and, 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 and then maybe the pancreas. And you say, Lord, uh, I get all this, but, 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 but why, what's the sack of poison that, that gets removed? I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. Appendix. There it is. Why did you put the appendix in them? What's the point of that? I heard someone say one time, they said, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, as being part of the church, we're part of the body of Christ. And, and every part has a function. I said, yeah, some people are the appendix. They're poisonous and they have no function. <laughs> Don't be the appendix. Amen. Find a, a purpose and be a part of the body. But nonetheless, God's forming Adam and then he finishes forming Adam. Look at Genesis chapter 2 and look at verse number 7. It says there, And the Lord God formed a man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. God finishes forming Adam. He's laying there in the dust lifeless. And God comes down and he puts his mouth to Adam's mouth. And he breathes into Adam, look at the phrase there, the breath of life. He puts in him the breath of life. Uh, What is one uh, uh, sign that someone has life? Well, they are breathing. They're breathing. If you are breathing, you have life. Now, let's move on here. Genesis chapter 6, look at verse 17. And I've cut verses out. There's a whole lot more I could have uh, shared with you this evening on these topics. There's plenty of verses in the, in the Old Testament that talk about the breath of life. Let's look at one more here. Genesis six seventeen. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Wherein is the breath 
of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. God sent a flood, a deluge that came down on planet earth and filled up planet earth and the water filled the lungs of humanity that was not inside the ark and it displaced their breath. It displaced their life. Uh, notice that it isn't just breath that signifies life's operation, but also blood. Blood. Look at Genesis chapter 9 and look at verse number 4. This is so important. Look at Genesis 9 and verse 4. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. Now, I don't want us really focusing in on the dietary law because that was done away with. Uh, in the New Testament, but I more want to make the point to you here uh, that we're being told that the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, look at verse 5, and surely the, your blood of your lives, your blood of your lives will I require. Uh, turn over to Leviticus chapter 17. We're going to look at two verses in Leviticus chapter 17, and I believe these verses to be so critical. Now, again, there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians, especially on the topic of abortion. They just really don't know where to stand. And you have all sorts of uh, arguments, and some will say, well, after the first trimester, it's wrong, or only in the case of rape and incest, is it wrong? And I want to tell you that God created life, and life is precious, and life is not only defined by a breath, life is also defined by blood. Look at Leviticus 17 and verse 11. It says here, can we, can we read the beginning of the verse together? You all there? Here we go. Ready? For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Look down to verse 14. For, uh, read it with me. Ready? For it is the life of all flesh. The blood of it is for the life thereof. We stop. What signifies life? Blood. Blood. Now, I went and did some digging and trying to understand uh, at conception, when a new life uh, is, is formed in the womb of a mother, when that child has its own blood flow, and there's differing opinions on that. I'm sure there's an exact answer to it. But one thing I did learn is that immediately at conception, the blood flow of the mother flows through that in order to maintain that life. Immediately has blood flow. There's life there because there's blood flow with it. And the mother's blood cell in that umbilical cord, that, that placenta, all of those parts remove away uh, the excretion and the waste that come from it. Why? Because there's blood flow there. There's life in the blood. And we've looked in the past at how blood has a voice. It cried out to God from the ground and asked for vengeance. And uh, the blood of Jesus cries out not only uh, for, not for vengeance, but uh, for us to be vindicated. And so we see here that life begins, life begins at conception because there's blood involved. We see its origin, its order, its operation. Let me just say quickly here, God created life. And God is the author of life. Number two, notice life's corruption. Life's corruption. Now, if God is life, as Scripture states He is, Satan rebelled against God and was sentenced to eternal death. Satan has made it his goal to corrupt human life so that they will suffer eternal death with him. Turn over to Genesis chapter 3 with me. Notice letter A. Notice the word deception. Deception. It's interesting that Satan's uh, uh, tools to trip us up can be found all the way back 
used with the first man and first woman. He's still using the same bag of tricks. Now, you all know the story. I'm looking around the room, and all of you have been to church plenty. You all know what I'm about to read. We're going to read it anyway to, to, to make some, pull some points out here. But can I say that just as though Satan used food in the garden with Adam and Eve, he used food with Jesus in the wilderness. You see where I'm going here? He doesn't actually change it up. In its principle, he uses the same things to trip you and I up that he used with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that he's used all throughout time. Now, as technology changes and time changes, it might be fronted a little different. It might look a little different, but Satan is looking to trip us up all the same. Look at Genesis 3 and verse 1, and we see Satan's deception. Now, the servant was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, Hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? One person put it this way, Satan loves to put a question mark where God has already put a period. Verse 2, and the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, here comes the flat out lie, ye shall not surely die. And now he's going to mix truth with a lie. Verse 5, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. What happened here? Uh, uh, Satan took truth, and he took a lie, and he put it in a pot, and he stirred it together. You know what the truth was that he threw in there was that they would know the difference between good and evil. Was that true? Did they learn the difference between good and evil when they ate the fruit? Yes, it is. Did they get to live forever? Did they become a god? No, they did not. Satan mixed a lie. God bless you. Satan mixed a lie in with truth, and he deceived Eve into doing wrong. By the way, interestingly enough, you notice that uh, how God has made the man and the woman, the male and the female. The male is uh, more uh, logically inclined and emotionally oftentimes deficient. And God has made the female to be emotionally inclined or strong and the uh, female to be logically deficient. And look what Satan did here. He came along to Eve and he got her to fall in her weakness of logic. Then she took the fruit to Adam and got Adam to fall in the weakness of his emotion. You see what Satan did there? And Satan continues to do the same thing. Women, he'll play on your logic all day long where he knows that maybe you're a little bit weaker than your male counterpart. Men, he'll play on your emotions all day long because he knows that you're weaker there uh, according uh, in comparison to your counterpart. And he'll play, he'll pit men against women, he'll pit husbands against wives, and he uses the one to tear down the other because Satan is the master of disguise. Verse number one says that the serpent was more Subtle, more subtle. Notice the deception. Letter B, notice destruction. Destruction. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the tree of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? 
And he said, I heard the voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereby I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Now, why were they hiding? Why were they hiding? Because they were afraid of God. You see what sin does? It destroys our relationship with God. Well, here comes the Lord. Here comes God. He comes down for his daily walk with his children. He's going to commune with Adam and Eve. And where are Adam and Eve? They're hiding. And I love this because God says, Adam, where are you? He knows where Adam is, but he needs Adam to, 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 to fess up about where he is. And Adam comes bashfully out from behind the tree and he's wearing his, his apron of fig leaves that are not doing a very good job of covering his nakedness. And, and he says, why are you hiding from me, Adam? And Adam says, because I'm naked. And God says, but Adam, you were naked yesterday. Who told you that you're naked today? Did you eat of the tree? Again, God asking him a question he already knows the answer to, wanting Adam to look in the mirror and fess up. And Adam says, I did eat the fruit, but I did it because of the woman that you gave me. You see how he deflects two directions? It was the woman that you gave me. It's not my fault. It's her and your fault. And then the woman, God doesn't look at Adam and say, don't play the blame game. He looks at Eve and says, now, now, Eve, what have you done? And Eve says, it's the serpent's fault. Now, uh, all of that was true. God did give Eve to Adam, and Eve did give the fruit to Adam, and the serpent did beguile Eve. All of that was true. Uh, but what happened here? Their relationship with God became destroyed. Notice not, not, notice not only was their relationship with God destroyed, their relationship between themselves would struggle. It would struggle. All the married couples in here, is there anyone in here this evening that's married that wants to raise their hand and say they've never, ever, ever had an argument with their spouse? I think we're all there, right? We've all had some sort of struggle. Listen, in the 12 years I've been married, my marriage has been tested by fire, by fire. You know why? Because I'm a knucklehead. I'm a knucklehead, and, and that's really pushed things to the limit. Uh, uh, you know why that struggle? Because of sin. Satan deceived and destruction came. Notice next, death. Death. You know, if Adam had not eaten of the fruit, he would have never died. If Eve would have not eaten of the fruit, she would have never died. I heard uh, a woman ask one time, well, where would you men be without us women? And some got, somebody wisely said, we'd still be in the Garden of Eden. Um, death. Adam lived to be 930 years old, the Bible tells us. But you know where Adam is today? He's dead. His body's dead. His flesh is dead. Why? Because sin brings death. Look at Genesis 3, verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I command thee, saying... Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Notice now, his days are numbered. 
Verse 18, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. Look here, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Uh, Adam, because you chose to disobey me, because of deception and destruction, you now will face physical mortality or death. Let's look at another example of deception, destruction, and death. Turn over with me to Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to be in chapter 6 and verse, uh, chapter 6 and chapter 7 for a little bit here. Please indulge me and go ahead and turn over there. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 23. I believe that what I'm about to share with you plays into a lot of our cultural struggle over this topic of life and the, the back and forth between the celebration of life and the celebration of death. Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 23. Uh, again, we're going to look at this idea of deception. Look here. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. And reproofs are instruction, of instruction are the ways of life. Look at verse 24. Why was Solomon giving his son Rehoboam these instructions, these reproofs? Uh, why was he giving him these commandments? Because he's trying to keep him from what is in verse 24. Look here. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. Deception. Now, I don't want to make paint women out to be some sort of awful. Listen, there are men who are just as vulgar and vile, and, and, and uh, they like to tempt and, and pull away and destroy marriages all the same. But for the sake of this passage here, we see that, uh, at, or that rather that uh, Rehoboam is being warned by his father not to be taken by a loose or a strange woman. Uh, earlier in the passage, we find a verse that says, Her feet abide not in her house, that she's loud and uh, she's cantankerous. We see that she's loose and uh, she throws around her beauty. She wears provocative clothing. She wears her makeup in such a way uh, to where she can bat her eyelids and draw away, deceive with her eyelids, uh, de- deception. Listen, there's a lot of deception out there. It's hard to even go to a mall in 2019 and walk down the hallway without seeing all the advertisements in the stores. But can I say this evening, it isn't just the advertisements at Victoria's Secrets that are a problem in malls today. It's the way many women are dressed in the mall, uh, where they're showing off what they bought in that store in the way that they're dressed. And there is this deception out there from Satan that I can look and everything will be okay. I can take the car for a test ride as long as I don't buy. And my friend, men, listen to me, that's not the case. The author of the Bible, the author that wrote this couldn't have been more clear. Uh, you're, again, I believe it's in Proverbs that you're to drink from your own cistern. You're to, you're to eat your own bread. You're not to go after some other man's. Somebody said to me one time, they said, every woman that you see that's dressed inappropriately, you must remember that she is either some man's husband or at the least some man's daughter. Some man's daughter. Don't you look at another woman the way that you wouldn't want a man looking at your own daughter. Deception. Notice destruction. Look at chapter 6 and verse 26. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. And the adulteress will hunt 
for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom? Look at the destruction here. And his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he goeth into his neighbor's wife. Whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Man, do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding, he hath he that doeth it, notice here, destroyeth the destruction, destroyeth his own soul. Uh, this would be repeated in First Corinthians where the Bible would tell us that if you commit this sin, you are sinning against your own body. All sins are done without the body, but the sin of fornication is done against the body. I'm harping on this for a very specific reason. We just see deception that leads to destruction, but ultimately leads to death. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 21. Earlier in Proverbs chapter 7, we find Solomon describing a simple man who w- went walking down the road where loose women were. And he, he's, he's curious. He's walking down that path because he wants to see what's down that street. He's a simple one, Proverbs 7 describes him. And he runs into a woman who is married, but whose husband is away on a business trip. And she is dressed in a provocative manner. She looks like a woman of the night. And uh, she catches up this simple man and through her, her speech, in fact, look at verse 21, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield with the flattering of her lips. She forced him there. You see the deception. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, the destruction and the death, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Look at here, verse 23, the death till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hasteth to the snare and knoweth not that it is for his life. Deception, destruction, and death. The time this evening does not allow us to give the many examples in the Bible of men such as Achan or David who fell into the deception, destruction, and death trap. Life's corruption. Satan does not want you to enjoy your life. Satan does not want you to live a day longer than God would allow. In fact, if God was not the giver and taker of life, Satan would have already ended your life and taken your soul to hell. He hates you. He hates everything about you because you are made in the image and likeness of God. He wants death, death, death. That's his sentence and he wants to bring as much of it into your life as you can. Now, we live in a world where Satan is in charge. We all understand that this evening? Satan is in charge. And so why is it that death, death, death is so celebrated? Because Satan has people who he has convinced that his way is better than God's way. Why has abortion become such a big thing? Why is euthanasia, the killing of the old, uh, why? I remember back when I was a boy, Dr. Kevorkian was considered a bad man. Today, there are Dr. Kevorkians running all over the world helping to get help someone out of their pain and bring someone's uh, life to an end quickly. There are countries over in Europe where uh, uh, where euthanasia is now just the accepted norm, and it's the, the way uh, things go. And I have to tell you that that is not valuing life. Instead, that is putting death up on a pedestal life's creation creation notice number two life's corruption and then number three life's 
coronation. Now, I want to take a few minutes to talk about what God's plan is for life. Is it God's plan for you just to be born and to die? Oh, no, God has so much more for you. Notice letter A, quantity of life. Quantity of life. John chapter 10, verse 28 says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. It's interesting. I did a study on the word life throughout the whole Bible. I read every verse in the Bible uh, that has the word life in it this week, uh, or at least uh, scoured through all the verses in the Bible that have the word life in it. There is a clear break between the Old Testament and New Testament when it comes to the philosophy around the word life. In the Old Testament, the emphasis is on physical life. In the New Testament, where you find the word life, it's oftentimes, or even most of the time, talking about eternal life. God, uh, Jesus comes on the scene, and immediately, he starts talking about giving us eternal life. Why? Because this body that you've been given, you've been given a window from your birth date to your death date to make a decision to choose Christ so that you can enjoy eternal life. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I'm glad I called on the name uh, of the Lord. April 8th, 1988, as a four-year-old boy sitting on the front row of Central Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, sitting next to my dad after hearing a sermon preached on a Sunday evening about how to be saved. I sat there on that front pew, and I bowed my head, and I called the name of the Lord, and I became a born-again child of God. I became a new creature in Christ, and I went from just having life to having eternal life. Boy, what a great quantity. Uh, There will be a day where I take my last breath on earth, but I will walk through the door into eternal life. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. I think of what Paul said in Thessalonians. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Boy, the stinger has been taken away from that bee because I'm going to die here and I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven. Not only quantity of life, let's look at letter B, quality of life. While I'm on earth, I want the best quality life possible. Hey, listen, I I can't wait to get to heaven, but I'm not taking the next bus. You all with me? I'm not signing up to jump on the next bus to get there. I kind of like the life I have here on earth. Oh, I get that heaven is sweeter than I'll ever understand or even be able to understand. I was talking to Brother Mark about heaven a little bit before church. And we were talking about how the Bible doesn't even give us a whole lot of detail about heaven. And, and I believe there's some reasons for that. Uh, I want to go to heaven. I look forward to heaven. But i got to tell you, I really enjoy being married to that woman. And I really enjoy being these two children's uh, uh, father. And uh, Andrea is not bad either when she's in town. Uh, we enjoy having her around. And I love my parents. And I love White Oak Baptist Church. Even though some, some of you get on my nerves sometimes. I love all of you. Amen. And I enjoy being the pastor. And I, I enjoy um, I, I enjoy eating a good cheesesteak. There aren't very many good ones around the uh, New England area. But I enjoy eating a good cheesesteak and I enjoy a good slice of pizza and I enjoy a steak from a good steakhouse. Amen. I love my life. I do. I love, I love, uh, 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 almost all of it, but I've got to say this. If I'm going to live on planet earth and the scriptures lay out for me, how I can have a good quality of life, count me in. I want to know what those verses say and I want to do it. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 12, uh, talks about this. Our earthly life can be of great quality and even great quantity if we honor our parents. If we honor our parents, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says this, honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long uh, upon the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. 
So we're to honor our parents. Notice uh, here, our earthly life can be of great quality if we get wisdom. I'm going to have you turn to Proverbs 3, and we're going to be in Proverbs for the rest of the sermon here this evening. Proverbs 3, look at uh, verse number 18. Now, uh, this is speaking of wisdom. In fact, um, uh, you could back up several verses and see where the she here, the pronoun she, is describing wisdom. Proverbs 3.18, speaking of wisdom, says, She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her, a tree of life. Look at chapter 8 and verse 35, speaking about how wisdom improves our quality of life. We get wisdom, not earthly wisdom, but but eternal wisdom. We get heavenly wisdom from our heavenly king. Proverbs 8:35, speaking of wisdom, for whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 14. Proverbs 13:14, we find here the importance of living our life with godly wisdom. Proverbs 13:14, the law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. I don't want to walk around with my own wisdom based on my own experiences. Folks, I'm only 35 years old. I'll be 36 in a few weeks here. I'm only 35 or 36 years old. I don't want to base my wisdom on 35 or 36 years of experience when I have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords whose age is is infinite and I can lean on his wisdom and his experience and, 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 and to tell me how to live my life. I want to fall on my knees and be a James 1, 5 Christian, uh, Christian and ask for that wisdom from above. If I will ask God for his wisdom, then boy, my quality of life greatly improves. Notice here, our earthly life can be of great quality if we fear God. If we fear God. Look at Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 27. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 27. The Bible says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Look at chapter 19 verse 23. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall uh, abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Chapter 22, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. We're in Proverbs. Proverbs 22, verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches... And honor and life. Can I ask you a question this evening? Do you fear God? Do you really fear the Lord? Do you, do you walk so close with Him that you would hate to sin because you know it would grieve Him? When the Lord says that in your life is wrong, does it sting you to know that you have hurt the Spirit of God? You have quenched Him or you have grieved Him. Fearing God is reverencing Him. It's reverencing him. First Peter 3, the Bible tells us that Sarah called Abraham her Lord. Why? Because she was reverencing her husband. Now, I want to make a, a greater point here. Um, do you reverence God? Is there that fear in your heart that you're going to let God down? Or that God is going to have to give you a, a, a spanking? And by the way, the way God spanks us is by usually touching our wallet or our health. That's usually how he goes about doing it. I don't want God touching my wallet or my health. Now, 
The Lord's plenty permitted to do that. And, and, And sometimes God does that and we haven't stepped out of line. A long time ago, I told God, I said, God, you can, you can touch my, my, my health or my wealth anytime you want, but I don't want you to have to do it because I'm not behaving. Boy, I, I, I want to walk with you, and I, I don't want you to have to punish me where I fear your punishment, and I don't want you to have to be disappointed by me because I let you down. If we live our life with pleasing God in the forefront of our hearts, our quality of life is going to be pretty great. Let me say that again. If we live our life with, uh, with pleasing God in the forefront of our hearts and minds, our quality of life is going to be pretty great. Our concern is we're so concerned about, our, our problem rather, is that we're so concerned about pleasing everyone else around us this way that we do things that displease God and then that ends up hindering our quality of life. Boy, I don't want to do that. Lord, I want to please you first. And if that hurts others, if that offends others, if that lets others down, then so be it. Lord, I want to please you first. Our earthly life can be a great quality if we honor our parents. Our earthly life can be of a great quantity if we get wisdom. Our earthly life can be of great quality if we fear God. Notice, lastly, below this, our earthly life can be of great quality if we maintain a righteous mouth. If we maintain a righteous mouth. Now, look at Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 11. I'm not just picking this one because I'm looking to stand on a soapbox. Over and over and over and over again, we find a theme of if our mouth is in control, we'll have a high quality of life. Look at Proverbs 10 verse 11. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. Look at chapter 13 and verse number 3. Chapter 13 and verse 3. We're almost done here. Uh, stay with me. Proverbs 13 verse 3. He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but that he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Two more. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 4. It says there, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Uh, uh, Chapter 18, verse 21. Turn over to chapter 18 and verse 21. And this one is a verse that sounds very similar to what we find in the book of James. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. What does James tell us? If we can learn to control this littlest member, boy, we can control our whole body. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard, isn't it, to not complain or lie or gossip or slander or tear people down or get involved in listening to some sort of dirty joke at work or uh, turning off the TV or uh, Netflix or some movie uh, that other people want us to watch or push on us because we are trying to maintain ears that are right so that we can maintain a mouth that is right. If we can maintain a righteous mouth, then we will experience a quality of life here on earth that, that is beyond explanation. Life's creation, life's corruption, life's coronation. Quickly, I finish life's choice. Life's choice. The title of the sermon this morning is that God values life. He values the young. He values the old. He values the strong. 
He values the weak. He values the righteous man. He values the wicked man. He values the moral and he values the immoral. God values life. Now, I believe many Christians fail to make solid principles in their life because they lack the foundation of Scripture. With all of this as the foundation, can I ask a question this evening? Is abortion choosing life? Is it? No. Is euthanasia a choice of life? No. Um, Is turning a blind eye to human trafficking... A choice of life. Do you know that there are more slaves in the world today than all of the slaves that were ever collected during the colonial era of our country combined? Sex trafficking is at an all-time high. Millions of women and children are involved in this. And oftentimes it goes on, even in this country, right below our own nose. Do we care enough to do something about it? Do we care enough to stand up to it? Do we care enough to research it and find a way that we can help combat it and fight against it? Is letting that go on right under our nose, is that choosing life? I'm going to say this here, and this isn't popular, but is playing violent video games a choice of life? When I see a shoot 'em up game being played, I, I step back and say, that's celebrating death. It's not celebrating life. I'm not saying that it's a sin necessarily to play one of those, but I think you ought to really do some praying and asking, am I, am I highlighting violence? Am I drunk on violence or am I celebrating life? Is watching shoot 'em up movies a choice of life? As we draw closer to God, we will choose life. As we stray from God, we will choose violence and death. There's one thing I can say for certain as an American citizen, and that is this. America is drunk on death. It's drunk on it. As Christians, we must follow the example set for us by our Heavenly Father. We must choose to value life. This evening, I want to ask you a question. Are you doing your part to stand for life in this society, in this culture? You say, oh, well, I'm not out doing any of those things. I'm not taking someone's life. I'm not uh, involved in human trafficking. I'm not for euthanasia. Are you doing your part to get on your knees and pray for our country? Are you doing your part to support causes that would help us to turn the tide against the evil of abortion and the millions of babies that take place in our country every year? May we do our part to value life. Lord, we pray that tonight you would help us as we consider this Bible study. And Lord, we get a better understanding of what, uh, where life came from and what life is and how important it is. Lord, may we honor you with our actions and our attitudes. May we set up standards in our home and in our own lives that help us to celebrate life. In Jesus' name.